Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. In the Red Bibles, that is page 781. If you're in the Red Bible, 781. And we're going to start off with verse 1 this morning. And when we're there, say amen. All right. In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah... And Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there regarding my people and my heritage Israel, whom, the, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a pro prostitute. They have sold a girl for wine that they might drink. This is a promise to bring back a scattered and mistreated Israel. Joel's prophecy still concerns the time period connected with it shall come to pass after, a afterward, mentioned in Joel 2.28. This is a broad period of the last days initiated by the ascension of Jesus and the birth of the church at the day of Pentecost. So, setting the time frame here. Many have the wrong idea about the last days, thinking it is in terms of the final years or months immediately before the return of Jesus in glory to the earth, or the rapture of the church. Scripturally, we can think of the last days as an era, one of the one that began with the birth of the church at the day on the day of Pentecost. Since that time, the church has not been rushing toward a distant edge. That represents the, the, the consummation of all things. Instead, at the day of Pentecost, the church came to the edge and has run parallel to, brink, to the brink for some 2,000 years. So the last days, we, we kind of think, well, we're in the last days. We've heard that so often. We're in the last days, and people think, well, and they've, they've talked about that being also Jesus Christ is coming back soon. We, we say that a lot, which is right. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's right, that we should be ready when Jesus Christ comes back. But this is not something that's right now. This is something that has been a, something that's been going on. The last days is from the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost till now. So it's continuation. 
That's why you're here for, for years and years. You've heard, we're in the last days. It's because it's an era. It's not necessarily Jesus coming back tomorrow because the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. And if they tell you it's going to be a certain so-and-so time, run from those people. Because the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. When I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem... In a lesser immediate sense, this was fulfilled in the return of the Babylonian exile. In a greater ultimate sense, it will be fulfilled in the end times regarding regathering of Israel to the point where, the, where an expedient Israel welcomes Jesus, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Matthew 23, 39. And salvation comes to Israel as the whole in Romans 11, 26 and 27. So this was more of a understanding that's going to happen. The scripture goes on to say, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. The prophet describes here the final gather of the nations in rebellion against God at the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation 16, 12 through 16. There is no place in Israel known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat, but the name Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. It describes God's place of judgment. So this is talking about the end times, God's place of judgment in Revelation. There is no such valley in the land of Judea, and hence the name must be symbolic. This is by a commentator or a theologian with the last name of Clark. It signifies the judgment of God or Jehovah judgeth. This is a judgment of all nations. Joel was written at the time when a terrible plague of locusts brought the judgment of God upon the people of, of God. At a time like that, it is easy to think, God, you are dealing harshly with us, but what about the ungodly nations? We may be bad, but they are worse. Don't you care about them? God uses Joel 3 to assume his people, to assume his people that the nations, to assure his people that the nations will be dealt with. God is using that to make sure that they know, yes, they will be dealt with. We tend to think that a lot, don't we? When we think about things, God, I'm not as bad as that person. Why am I going through this? I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not bad as that lady. So why are you putting me through this, God? We tend to do that. It is, it is important to understand that we tend to think of ourselves highly than we, more highly than we ought to. And that's a human thing. We tend to think of ourselves more than we should or higher than we should. The scripture goes on. He says, I will, judge, I will enter into judgment with them for the account of my people. God's complaint against the nations is that they have mistreated his people. <coughs> Primarily, this has a view this has in view the, the way the nations treat Israel, but also extends to how the nations treat the church. 
When God's people are mistreated, God takes it personally and will avenge it. I have seen a lot of things here of late. If you watch television, I don't. I watch internet stuff. But if you watch the award shows, there's been, there was a pretty, mock, pretty bad mocking of God in the award shows this year. And God does not take lightly to that. That was not just an affront to God, but it was an affront to the people, to God's people who stand with God, and God will judge that. God will judge that. God doesn't like to be made fun of. God is not mocked. He will not be mocked. And yet, today's society tends to mock God, thinking that it's going to be unnoticed by God. God will notice. God has noticed, and he will judge he will judge. In the judgment of the nations, Jesus described in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, the criteria is not faith in Jesus Christ, but how the nations have treated the people of Israel. Now, let's look at that for a moment. Some people say, well, some people say replacement theology. We are now, you know, God's chosen people as Christians. We're Gentiles. We are not God's chosen people. Israel's no longer part of that. Well, it is. Israel is part of that. We are grafted in, which means we are put into place with God's people because we're believers. So Israel or us, God will bring judgment the brethren of Jesus, the children of Israel, the brethren of Jesus. So we are the brethren of Jesus as well. Held on the earth after his return in glory, this judgment determines who is allowed to enter into the millennial earth and who goes straight to judgment. In Revelation, there are two judgments that they talk about in Revelation. One judgment is the judgment seat of Christ, and the other judgment is the white throne judgment. And how you want to know what the difference is, the judgment seat of Christ goes back to the Ark of the Covenant. When the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the cherubims are, one's going this way, one's going that way, and their wings are touching, that's kind of what they portray. The place in between is called the mercy seat. So that's the mercy seat or where God's presence is. So it's the, when it's the judgment seat of Christ, that kind of parallels the mercy seat. That's where the blessings of God are given. The white throne judgment is where judgment is given, where those that are, are away from God, those that are the, the ones that are not following Christ, that is where their judgment is given, is at the white throne judgment. The Christians are judged at the mercy seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And so when we think about that and we think about our lives, we have to think about where we're going to end up. Are we going to end up at the mercy seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, or are we going to end up in the white throne judgment? And this is a thing we have to really think about on a regular basis, the way we, we act, the way we talk, the way we do what we do, the way we live. We've got to ask ourselves, are we, are we blaspheming God by our actions, we end up in the white throne judgment or will we end up at 
the judgment seat of Christ? We have to ask ourselves that question. The judgment is there. Will we end up in a millennial earth or will we be judged? The scripture goes on, they have cast lots for my people. It's bad enough for man to regard any human life as cheap. It is worse to regard the people of God as cheap. God remembers and will repay. God remembers the things that we do. God remembers the things. Now, one thing I want to, to preface this with, the things that we repent of, the things that we know we've done wrong, that we repent of, the thing, those things, God throws them into his great sea of his forgetfulness as far as the east is, is from the west. So he doesn't remember those things anymore. But the things that we don't repent of, God remembers. Those things that we think we're okay with doing, that we don't need to repent of, God remembers those things. God remembers those things. And to, it, we must be pretty arrogant to think that God is not going to judge that. When we think, well, God understands. He knows. He sees. He knows what kind of life I live and what I've been through and what I've gone through in my life so I can, I can do these things because God understands. I don't need to repent. That's a, that's a very dangerous place to be in when we think we don't need to repent. God wants us to repent if we need to. And if we're honest with, each, with ourselves and with each other and with God, the need to repent is a daily thing. The need to repent is every day. Going on to verse 4 and following down to verse 8. Also, what are you to me, Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something? If you are repaying me, I will return your pay payment swiftly and speedily on your head. For you have taken my silver and my gold, and you have carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their border. I am about to rouse them from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. God is saying, I will, will you retaliate against me? God virtually challenges the nations to come against him or his people. He vows to return retaliation upon their own head to those who come against him and his people. 
You remember in the scripture where it talks about if a man does you wrong, you do right by him, you bless him, and by doing so, you're heaping hot coals on his head, heaping judgment on his head. That's judgment. Judgment is about the only aspect of God's plan of the ages that is plainly logic. The grace and mercy of God is not plainly logical. Salvation by grace through faith is not plainly logical. The high standing and destiny of the believer in Jesus is not plainly logical. Judgment, judgment. God's simply giving those who reject him what, him what they deserve is plainly logical. So what are, we, what, are, what are we saying here? The way God views us, the way God, talk, the way God views us, how we can go to God and repent and get forgiveness is not logical. God's grace and mercy is not logical. We are a people of sinful nature. We deserve judgment. But because Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose on the third day, that judgment has been stayed because we believe in him. It is only logical for those who do not turn to God. It is only logical for sinful people. That's why it's not logical for us. Because in our hearts we're sinful. And God sees that, and God knows that. But yet, because Jesus died, and we, re and we re have, have accepted him, we are given mercy and grace. And that's just not logical. But it's God. It is, it is, if, as, it is as if God says to the wicked, you rejected the saving logic of heaven, so I will give you the plain logic of earth. You will receive what you deserve before my holy court of my justice. So if we, re if we reject God, he will reject us. Jesus said that. If you, if you dishonor me before God, I will dishonor you before my Father. God's plain judgment. The scripture goes on and says, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the people of Judah. The nations treated God's people with contempt and had no sense of their worth. Therefore, God will repay them with the contempt they put upon his people, vowing to return your retaliation upon your own head. God will judge those nations. A theologian with the last name of Trapp details the honor, the horrors that befell the ten emperors of the Roman Empire that persecuted Christians. This is the judgment God gave those in the Roman Empire, their emperors. Nero lost 30,000 of his subjects by pestilence, had his armies utterly defeated in Britain, suffered a revolution in Armenia, 
and was so hated by the senators of Rome that they forced him to kill himself. Nero. He's the one who burned the temple, remember? Domitian was butchered by his own soldiers. Trajan died of a foul disease. Servius died miserably on a military campaign in Britain. Maximus was cut in pieces together with his own son. Decius died as an exile in a far country. Valerian was whipped to death by the king of Persia who captured him. Aurelian was killed by his own soldiers. Diocletian poisoned himself. Maximum hanged himself. So this is what God does. This is how God deals with those who mock him, who treat his people wrongly. Judgment happens. And do we think we're so arrogant that we are not going to have that happen to us if we do not come to God? We must come to God. You cannot tread upon the least toe of Christ's mystical body, but the head cries out from heaven, why, why do you hurt me? Trap also said that. Paul found this out on the road to Damascus when Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In Acts 9, 4. Judgment is brought upon the people who mock God, who treat God's people wrongly. Judgment is brought upon them. My question today is, where are we? Do we mock God? Do we walk away from God? Do we have, hold contempt for those who follow God? I hope we don't. Because if we do, judgment is the only thing that's going to come our way. 9 through 13. Proclaim this amount among the nations. Consecrate a war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near and rise. Beat your plowshares into swords. Now remember, there's a difference here. Remember, there's, there's going to be a time we're going to beat their, they're going to beat their swords into plowshares. He is calling for them to beat their plowshares into swords and their pruning hooks into spears. There's a time where you'll turn, your, you'll turn your spears into pruning hooks. He is calling for them to do the opposite here. Turn your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakening, weakened weakling say, I am a warrior. Hurry and come all the surrounding nations and gather there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused and go up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there, will, there I will sit to judge the surrounding nations. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come and tread, for the winepress is full. 
The wine vats overflow because their evil is great. Prepare for war. God challenges the nations to prepare for war against him. They will one day do the exact thing in Revelation 16, 12 through 16, but God will simply laugh at the puny and futile preparations of the nations, Psalms 2. God's inviting them. You think you're tough? We say, you think you're tough? Bring it on. Bring it on. Come on. He's saying, turn all your useful things into war weapons. See what happens. Beat your plowshares into swords. If you are going to go into battle against God, you should have every weapon available. You should also practice your best positive thinking. Let the weak say, I am strong. The words of positive thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking. I'm strong. I'm good looking. You ever stand in the mirror and do that? I try, but I laugh, you know. You're good looking. You're strong. Yeah, okay. God's saying the same thing. Go ahead and say that about yourself. You're strong, you're, but you're really, you're weak. God says, yeah, okay. Nevertheless, the most positive attitude can't work when a man sets himself against his maker. You can't win against God. To your best ability, God is more powerful than us. God is more powerful than you. Your most positive thinking you have, God says, oh yeah, okay, whatever. I always tell the boys, yep, laugh it up, zippy. That's what God's saying, yep, go ahead, laugh it up, zippy. Think you're good, huh? You think you're good, huh? There is a Broadway play entitled The Arms, Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. Really, that's the truth. We are not strong enough. God is better. God is bigger. We are not strong enough to fight God. And yet, isn't that what we do with our lives? When we go down a path that we know is not where God wants us to go and we go down there anyway, are not we fighting against God? And what happens? What happens? Judgment happens. God brings us to a place of judgment and where we go from there depends upon us. Whether we walk there and we walk with, back with God and we say, God, forgive me, or if we continue on. These emperors we talked about didn't repent and their judgment took place in their lives. This is what the nations don't know but we'll learn the hard way. Do we understand that God is a just God? He's a loving God. He's a sovereign God, but he's also a just God, and he will not let sin go idly by. He will judge. How arrogant we must think we are how arrogant of us to think 
that we are okay with God in our sin. He goes on, he says, I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Though the nations will come against God and his Messiah with every weapon and the most positive frame of mind, it is all for nothing. They will be plucked like ripe harvest and crushed in judgment. That's why he gave that particular analogy of the wine presses because they will be plucked like grapes and crushed like the grapes into wine. What does the Bible say? Those that fall upon God will be broken, but if God falls upon them, they will be ground into powder. Judgment. Judgment takes place when we do not follow God. Psalms 2 beautifully expresses the folly of the nations and the triumph of the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let's, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their swords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on the holy hill of Zion. Psalms 2, 1 through 6. God laughs at our folly. But do you think that it makes God pleasure, gives God pleasure to see us sin? No. It grieves God, but yet he is a just God and he will bring judgment. Our scripture goes on and says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down and to the wine press is full. So in judgment, God is going to pluck us like grapes. And in plucking us like grapes, he is going to throw us in the wine presses and he is going to crush us into wine or into powder. Judgment. Revelation 14, 14 through 20, uses the image of the wine press of the wrath of God to describe Jesus' judgment on the nations at Armageddon. Jesus will bring judgment. And he too will pluck those that don't follow him like grapes and ground them in the wine press. Verse 14 through 17. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of, the, of decision. The sun and the moon darken, and the stars withdraw their radiance. The Lord roars from Zion, the sounds of his voice, the sound, the, and sounds his voice from Jerusalem, and heaven and earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge for his people, and a stronghold for the children of Israel. 
Then I will know, then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. We need to know who God is. Amen? We have to understand who God is in our lives. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus Christ is his son, and we have to know that. And he will bring judgment. And when he does, we will know him, that he is the Lord. Scripture says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Joel looked out upon the valley of Jehoshaphat at the battle of Armageddon and sees multitudes facing their eternal fate. Truly, it is a valley of decision. And those who fight against the Lord and his Messiah are in the wrong place in the valley of decision, ultimately fulfilled by the battle at the battle of Armageddon. We stand every day in the valley of decision. Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow our own nature? What is your answer? What is my answer every day? Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow our own nature? I would hope and pray that we vow to follow God every day. The heavens and the earth will shake, it says. Joel goes back to the descriptions of cosmic cataclysm that were mentioned in Joel 2, 30 and 31. In the midst of it, all the Lord will be a, all the Lord will be a shelter to his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And he will restore both his people and his city to glory. God will do that for us. In the midst of trial, that's what God is. He is a place of shelter. And if we are apart from God, if we are walking, not walking his way, we are not in the right place. We are not in the right place. We don't have that shelter. We don't have that uh, strength. We have judgment. Eighteen through twenty-one, the end of the chapter. He goes on. And it will be that in that day the mountains will drip sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the steam beds of Judah will flow with water. A spring will proceed from the house of the Lord and will water the valley of Shittim. Egypt will become a desolation and Edom will Edom a, a desolate wasteland because, the violence, because of the violence done to the people of Judah. They shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem for generations and generations will avenge their blood I, 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 I will avenge their blood which I have not yet avenged the Lord dwells in Zion 
Let's look at this section. The mountains shall drip with new wine. All the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. After God's final victory, there is lasting abundance and, and the days of drought are just a distant memory. Instead, Egypt shall be desolate. Among with, along with all the enemies the Lord of the Lord and his people. We know that Egypt in the scriptures has always been symbolic of sin. Symbolic of turning away from God. And when God wins victory over sin, we will be in a place of abundance. It sounds all like heaven, doesn't it? A place of abundance. And those that are not following God will be in a place of judgment or hell. A fountain, a fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord. Ezekiel 47 describes waters flowing from the house of the Lord. In that time after Jesus' triumphant, triumphant return in the millennium, Zechariah 14.8 also speaks of a great flow of water from Jerusalem, emptying both into the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. The Valley of Acacias, or the Valley of Shittim, was a place associated with both failure and victory. It is located on the eastern side of the Jordan River to the north of the Dead Sea. It was where king of, the king of Moab sent his young women to the men of Israel to seduce them into idolatry and sexual immorality. Numbers 25, 1 through 3. It will also be launching a, a it, it will also be it was also the launching place for the armies of Israel when they set out against Jericho and Canaan in the days of Joshua in Joshua 2 1 and Joshua 3 1. When water from the house of the Lord flows down to the valley of, of Achaeas, then God's grace and provision covers the past. Every sin, every victory is covered by him. Isn't that wonderful? When we come to know the Lord, when we come to follow Christ and follow God and walk in his ways, every sin and every victory is covered by him. Covered by him. He says, but Judah will shall abide forever. The Lord dwells in Zion. God will show mercy to his people and grant them forgiveness. This prophecy of Joel, which began with the desperate plague of locusts, ends with a promise of restoration and redemption. Those who follow God will have re redemption and restoration. When we follow God, we could be walking through a life of sin that is racked with sin, and when we turn to God, we are promised redemption and restoration. We could be headed toward, we could be headed toward the judgment of God, and then we turn our hearts to God, and then we walk with God, and we, and we follow his ways, and we are promised redemption and reconciliation.
and all those good things. Restoration. See that in Nineveh. It's what happened. The king called for a national repentance and God heard it. And he did not judge them. He restored them and redeemed them. This is the last promise, but not the least. Trap, again, says, it refers, says Demaeus, to Christ taking our flesh, by which he dwells among us, being God manifest in the flesh. Since he dwelled with the, his church forever, as it is in the, the, the preceding verse, and makes her a true Jehovah Shema, as she is called. Ezekiel 48.35. That is the promise. When we turn to God, He will abide with us. When we turn to Him, when we walk in His ways, judgment that once was, will become restoration and forgiveness. Clark says this, this prophet who has many things similar to Ezekiel ends his prophecy in nearly the same way. Ezekiel says of the glory of the church, Yehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Joel says, Yehovah Shakan Betsoin, the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Both point out the continued indwelling of Christ among his people. God will dwell among us. God will walk with us. God will view us as his children when we follow him, when we walk with him. When we walk away, we are enemies of God. We have enmity toward the Father. But yet Christ came that we might have life and restoration and forgiveness with the Father. We cannot think of ourselves as being not being judged because God understands, not being punished because I have lived this life this way. So therefore, that's why I do what I do. And it's just the way it is. It is what it is. We say that. I, 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 I do that because it is what it is. God understands. No, God still has judgment on our, on our way. We are to turn to God. Repent. We are to turn to him. Call upon his name. And he will, in fact, turn that judgment into restoration and redemption. Amen? So what is our call for this week? Search our hearts, read our Bible, learn about God, grow in greater relationship with God, and allow him to minister to you. Amen? That is your goal for this week. If there's any repentance needed,
allow God to come into your heart and change you from the inside out. Because if you don't, judgment is coming your way. It is only when we repent that restoration and redemption comes our way. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for all the things you've done for us and all that you've given to us. We pray that you'd help us to turn to you, to have an attitude of repentance, to allow you to minister to us. Father, I pray your blessing upon each and every one here today. I pray that you would touch us, cause us to repent, cause us to not desire the things that cause amnity with you, but to, to desire you, to desire your word, to desire your presence, and to, and to desire being those who worship you, to, to be with those who worship you. Father, minister to us by your Holy Spirit and give us strength. And Lord, we thank you for that and give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.